Good evening, Tucson Mountain Baptist Church. Glad you folks are here. Let's bow for a brief prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this good evening. Thank you, Lord, that even despite the cold and the wind and uh, whatever else, we are here and we are going to uh, uh, gather together in your name. And Lord, we ask you to help us to to focus on you, your love, and uh, uh, how you want us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Much we need thy tender care. In thy pleasant pastures feed us, for our use thy folds prepare. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast bought us thine we are. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast bought us thine we are. We are the undoing to befriend us, be the guardian of our way. Keep thy flock from sin, defend us, seek us when we go astray. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, hear us when we pray. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, hear, oh, hear us when we pray. Thou hast promised to receive us, poor and sinful though we be. Thou hast mercy to relieve us, grace to cleanse and power to free. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, early let us turn to Thee. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, early let us turn to Thee. Early let us seek Thy favor, early let us do Thy will. Blessed Lord and only Savior, with thy love our beings fill. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast loved us, love us still. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast loved us, love us still. How are we doing tonight? Got a few head nod shakes out. So, I know it's on your sheet, but I'm going to ask you, what do you think, what do you think is the most powerful force in the world? Today you'd probably say the wind. Mm -hmm. See? Seriously, what do you think it is? God, faith, love. Well, think about this. <coughs> if you were a scientist, and I think some of this is on your sheets. Kathy and I cross-reference this, and sometimes I don't get all my notes right. So, because she does typing for me. You might say the most powerful force in the universe is the nuclear force, which binds subatomic particles together which is a force that's 6,000 trillion, trillion times stronger than gravity. That's pretty strong. Yeah. If you're a philosopher, you might say the strongest force is love. And then what you would do is you would look to God, because God is love, right? 
But there's not a lot of philosophers out there that look at God. Or if you're a financial person and a wizard, finance whiz, I want to talk to you, number one. But number two, <laughs> you might agree with Einstein's uh, thought process that the most powerful force in the universe is compound interest. And you'd be right on that aspect, too. But there's a few other things we need to think about. What I know from personal experience and what you know from personal experience, the strongest force in the whole wide world is words. And it's that first fill-in, words. That's why the author of Proverbs writes, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Paul writes also about it in Ephesians 4.29. He says this, it's not just our words. There's a lot of things that we're going to talk about tonight. This is the second part of relationships that we talked about. So as, as we think about these things, we have to remember Paul communicates a lot of different things, but there's some specific things he's going to talk about tonight in regard to relationships. So in Ephesians 4.29, he says this, Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but if there is any good word for edification according to the need of the moment, Say that so that it will give grace to those who hear. Now, if we follow just that single principle, how much more pleasant do you think the world would be? It'd be a lot easier to deal with people, wouldn't it? Because we've talked about that relationships are probably one of the major stressors in our life. So... As we get into this, the very first thing we need to remember is what we say matters. What we say really matters. Um, Paul is telling us, obviously, in this very first part of this phrase, that we should reject any kind of unwholesome words, unwholesome talk. But do we always do that? I was listening to to Caleb uh, earlier uh, this afternoon, and the DJ announcer was talking about the fact that his pastor had recently challenged them. They're talking about Lent, and he says, rather than rather than giving up material things, he said, "How about you give up your negativity? How about you give up your cynicism? How about you give up your hard-heartedness?" And you know, those type of things are things we need to think about sometimes. So what we say matters a lot. We should never engage in any kind of speech that's rotten or repulsive or vulgar or, or put somebody down because that is the cause of their death. And it could be not just, not just a physical death, although it could cause that. I recently read a story about um, a group of girls uh, three girls that had been bullying and picking on this other young lady, and she killed herself because she just couldn't take it. And this had been going on for months, apparently, now that the, they had been investigated. We have to watch the power of our words, the power of life and death in our tongue. <coughs> Paul contrasts all unwholesome words with the word edification. And that's the process of building someone up. It's not just a single at a boy or at a girl. It's an ongoing, consistent process that's being talked about when talked about edification. So we need to remember that. Um, he also writes that there's any good word of edification that we should say it in according to the need of the moment. You can't just come along and give two or three, oh, that's good, that's good, and move on if it doesn't fit the situation because people know that's phony and false. They pick up on it pretty quick. So Paul instructs three things very specifically here. He says we need to find and speak grace, grace into the lives of other people. We can't, we can't be harsh and hurtful. There's going to be times we might have to do that, but it doesn't be harsh and hurtful intentionally. Um, when we talk with others, we need to always focus our conversation on trying to build them up or be an encourager. 
And I always told the youth when I was working with youth on a regular basis, you need to be an encourager, not a discourager. Because they just let things fly out of their mouth. They don't think before they engage their mouth, you know, a lot of times. But a lot of times we as adults don't either. Especially when we're under stress. So we have to be very, very careful about that. So what we say matters. We need to speak grace into the lives of others. The second thing Paul says is that it's when we speak. What we say is important, but when we speak is also important. Our timing can be very, very important on saying certain things or not saying certain things. Because you can say the wrong thing at the wrong moment. Um, there has to be the right moment. If you're trying to witness to somebody, let's use this as an example. If you're trying to witness to somebody and they ask you twice to say, you know, I'm really uncomfortable talking about this or I don't want to talk about this anymore, and you keep going, are they really listening to you after that point? No, they're probably not listening to you after the first time, but they're still hearing you. All right? Um, it's possible to say the wrong thing at the wrong moment. And the timing must be just may not be wrong, right. And if it's not, then you need to be considerate and kind and listen to what they're saying. The third thing comments in here in Ephesians 4.29 is this. He says it's how we say it. How we say it. When we say it's important, but the tone of our words can matter tremendously. You can put the inflection on a certain word or, or not inflect a certain word. And some people, you know, it's like the old analogy when you, when you say, Good morning, Lord, or good Lord's morning. <laughs> you know, there's a difference there. You're basically saying the same words, but how are you saying it? And what is it coming across as to you? What's it coming across as to the other person? So we have to think about those things. Here's another really reality. <clears throat> Not only is it possible to say the wrong thing at the wrong time, and it's, we put the wrong inflection, the wrong part of the word, but we can do it, and when we do it, we tend to do it really more so when we're stressed out. And we often don't think about that. When I get stressed out, any of you that are around me much, you will see me get very, very quiet. Because I know if I open my mouth, I'm probably going to say something stupid. And I want to avoid that if I can. Sometimes I don't. But I try my best not to do that. So it's, it's, it's hard sometimes. And it's a challenge for us as individuals to keep that mindset going. And we're going to talk about how that works here in a couple of minutes too. So Paul gives a similar piece of advice in Colossians 4.6. And this is from the New American Standard Bible. He says, let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Listen, I can talk to some people one way, and I have to talk to another person another way. And if you don't, if you talk to everybody the same way all the time, you're going to end up offending somebody, hurting feelings, or making somebody mad. And it's, it's, it's interesting that you, you learn over time how to talk to those people. But, but it's, we, sort of, we sort of start to pick up on it as we get to know those individuals. And there's things that we can say to one person jokingly, and it's fine. But you say that same thing to somebody else, and it's like, oh, who do they think they are, Right? So, the way we communicate can either bring life or death into the relationship. And how do we know, how do we know that we are causing death in that relationship to somebody else? Because they or you start to get stressed out. If you start to see stress in somebody, you, you, you need to back up and think about what you're saying. Really start to process what you're saying. Um, it, it's always one that creates stress, our stressors in our lives that we know we're causing problems. So we have to watch that. In such situation, you have to ask yourself the three basic questions real quick. If, if what we're saying is causing the problem, if when we're saying it is causing the problem, or is how we're saying it causing the problem.
If you do a quick self-analysis, sometimes you can salvage that situation really quick. But you have to respond then. Don't wait a week and come back and say, oh, well, I thought about it. Too late. The damage may already be done. So another question. I gave you three last week. I'm giving you some more this week. Am I dealing with relationships on my own strength? Am I dealing with a relationship on my own strength, or am I allowing God to have any so in it? That's key. So the final question comes about is we evaluate our relationships with others and the conversation that we have with others. So Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 addresses that, Paul speaking again. He says, all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander must be removed from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So there's the question. Am I dealing with the relationships that I have by my own strength, or am I allowing God to have any say-so in it? <clears throat> this is another place where Scripture has given us two contrast or stark variances here. The very first one is, says it comes across as we're managing our relationship with our own strength. When we manage our relationship with our own strength, we get exactly what Paul's talking about in those first few words. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. And after we do all that, then we have malice against that individual or that individual has malice against us. So the contrast, of course, is why do we do that? Why do we struggle when we try to manage our relationships through our, through our own way, our own resources? Anybody? Sometimes I think it's because we don't spend enough time in God's Word. We're not as, as much in tune with the Lord as we ought to be. Okay. Anybody else? Emotions. Emotions get in the way a lot. Anybody else? Uh, when we don't surrender humbly to God in prayer, uh-huh. it doesn't keep us in the right frame of mind. Yeah. To, to surrender to Him what is what belongs to Him. Okay, that's true. We should be turning over to Him. Somebody said something over here. Pride. Pride. Oh yeah, pride. Pride's another one. That's like emotions. You know, those, those things can, we can get caught up in it. We don't mean to, but we can get caught up in it a lot of times. Um, pain. Here's, here's a real problem, though. No matter what, what our motivating factor is, or our underlying situation, whether it's motion or pride or pain, regardless of what it is, the real issue is we don't have enough resources through our own strength. We don't have enough wits. We don't have enough intelligence. And we don't have enough strength to carry that relationship by ourselves. That's why it's imperative that we allow Christ into that relationship for that relationship to really meld and mend and be together. But a lot of times we try to do it through our own strength. And that's when we start seeing things and people and everything else through our eyes and not God's eyes. So, because we're basically trying to do it on our own. And that's a bad idea, because we just, we have limited resources. Does God have limited resources? No. Absolutely not. But we're not, we're not leaning into those resources. So no matter how patient we are, no matter how spirit-filled you might be, no matter what it is, eventually you're going to get worn in and wore out trying to deal with people, no matter who they are. It can, it can be the love of your life. And they have this one court that just drives you up the wall, right? So those things happen. The result can be those bad things that we mentioned. Paul gives us an alternative list, though. Look at what he says. If we allow Christ into the, into the relationship and into the situation, he says you can be kind to one another, you can be compassionate, and you can forgive each other. But the last part of that verse is the key. 
Look at the end of it. It says, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you, meaning that we don't accomplish those things on our own. It's Jesus that did it. Jesus does it, not us. But that, you have to let Jesus into this relationship first. We don't have the capacity to be kind, nice, compassionate, and caring in every relationship all the time. We're just not wired that way. We've got to be honest. And if you think about a little baby, let's think about a baby. Babies are cute and cuddly, but they're selfish little beggars. <laughs> they want all the attention all the time, right? They want fed. They want changed. They want cuddled. They want loved on. So, then they get it. <laughs> they get the attention. Usually because they cry a lot. But those, those type of things we have to think. Jesus has the capacity for infinite kindness, compassion, love, and care. For every single one of us. <clears throat> Even those that may be more difficult to love. So what is, he, what, is, what is he saying? You know, we don't have the capacity to forgive like Jesus does, but he does. We don't have the capacity to um, understand and empathize others like Jesus does. We don't have the capacity or the strength not only to forgive others, but to put them in the right frame of mind and keep ourselves in the right frame of mind, but Jesus does. So we have to remember... We also don't have the strength to remove the wrath, the slander, the bitterness, all those things that are unhealthy and unhelpful to a relationship. We can't remove those on our own. You can try. You might be able to do it for a short little while, but it's going to come back. That's a problem. The solution is then to allow Jesus to live in us and through us in our relationships with others, no matter who it is, even if it's an enemy. We're going to talk about those things in a minute. I, I got to share something with you guys. I've, since last week, I've had three, no, four people come to me and, and talk to me about this situation of forgiveness. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that in greater detail here in a minute and, and how to deal with some of those conflicts that, that come into relationships sometimes. But we're going to have to look at it from a scriptural point of view. And we're going to talk about that in greater detail. The concept of forgiveness is confusing for many, many people. It's confusing because of what, what we understand versus what scripture says versus what our mind and hearts tell us. Because we're, we're, we're leaning on our own resources a lot of time because I don't believe we as Christians are forgiven, and we understand that. But I can guarantee you that 50% of you or more sitting in this room don't always feel forgiven. Because the years of counseling that I've done, talking to different people, there's, there's something in their past, there's something, it's baggage, and, and they just, they've given it to God. I'm not saying you haven't done that. They've given it to God. But the problem is they just really struggle with the concept that God has forgiven them for that sin. So when we talk about this, we have to remember that that can also be another hidden stressor. And I haven't even talked to you about hidden stressors, and we'll, maybe we'll talk about those more in greater detail later on, but not tonight. Um, If you're part of a relationship that's producing stressors in your life or has ongoing stress in your life, then something needs to change. You have to look at it with a different perspective. Now, I want to emphasize what I emphasized last week. Most likely, it is us that need to change. All right? Most likely, but not in every instance. You need to first start examining and asking those five questions that we talked about. What were those five questions? I'll refresh your memory if you didn't have them from last week, okay? Question number one is, am I being honest in that relationship? You have to be absolutely honest. 
if you're not honest, then no telling what's going to take place in that relationship. The second question is, am I harboring anger about the past? If there's something in the past that's bothering you, we're going to talk about how to deal with that here in just a second. But you have to deal with it. You can't, because that anger that sits and boils and festers, like we talked about, will eat you alive. And that other person may have not a clue that you're angry about it. We talked about that a little bit. Am I focused more on what I can get or what I can give in that relationship? Remember I picked on Debbie and said, I'd like to go to lunch with Debbie because she always pays, right? And Debbie says, I do not and we do not. And I say, yeah, you're absolutely right. But my wife, I go with my wife and she always pays. Because she says, I got a credit card and I know how to use it. That doesn't help my pocketbook any, though, you know. <coughs> the fourth one is, am I dealing with my relationship on my own strength? And then the last question is, am I allowing Christ to live through me? Am I allowing Christ to live through me? Or am I trying to do it all on my own? We have to think about those five questions. So we start asking those five questions and we drill down and we determine what it is, then we can decide how to deal with it more appropriately. But the first thing we always need to do, always, is examine your own heart and make sure you're not the cause of the stress. You're not the stressor that's causing the stress. You have to get honest before God and you have to ask him to open your eyes and open your heart and open your mind and then you have to be receptive to his word. Sometimes you want to open up but receiving his word is not always the easy part because we don't, we don't like what we hear. I want to make a second suggestion and, and it happened like I said four times this week. Seek someone for godly counsel. Someone you trust, someone you think would give you good advice, not bad advice, and ask them what they think about that situation. A biblical counselor is, is the best one to talk to, whether it's male or female, but a biblical counselor will give you the biblical mandates we're going to talk about tonight, and they'll help you through that process. Think about this for a second. Paul also said, Sometimes, listen, sometimes you're not the problem. Sometimes it's the other person or other group of people. But you have to remember, you've you got to search yourself first. Remember what Romans twelve eighteen says. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Now, sometimes you want to be peaceable and the other person does not. That's just unfortunately part of human nature and if you're dealing this is really hard because if you're dealing with a non-christian that's a relative or a good friend it's going to make it more difficult because you're coming at it from a completely different viewpoint than a worldly viewpoint so when i give you these i'm going to tell you that it'll work in any relationship it will but you've got to be on the same page all right so Sometimes something must be adjusted in that relationship. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some specifics, and I want you just to mull them over in your mind and see if you have the intestinal fortitude to do some of these. All right? The very first one is we're going to say is step up. You have to step up. Now listen, I don't like conflict. I don't like, I don't like the world's terminology of confrontation. But I do like to practice the Bible's version of confrontation. Okay? It's different. It has a set process. Um, but my idea of confrontation is not like the culture of the world says. It's not screaming and yelling across rooms and throwing things at each other. Okay? That's, that's the world's view. That's not the Bible's view. I'm talking about biblically-based confrontation and it means your ultimate desire and your root foundation is peace and reconciliation. You're not looking to prove you're right. You're not looking to prove the other person is wrong. 
You're looking for peace and reconciliation. That's the number one goal. Okay? So that's, that's a little different than the world's viewpoint. Um, you and I are called, as Christians, to do everything in our power to pursue peace and to pursue reconciliation with other people. Sometimes it's not, you're not able to do it. You're just not. So we're going to talk about this, and, and I want you guys to think, if you have questions, I want to answer those questions for you as much as we can tonight, because this is something that you can use in almost every single situation, but you need to use it in the appropriate manner. Okay? So it's Matthew 18. It's verses 15 to 17 is what we're going to focus on. He says this, <coughs> you have to confront people with, in the back of your mind with, again, with reconciliation and peace as the ultimate goal. He says this, Now if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. That's, that's number one. Number two is, but if he did not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that the testimony of two or three witnesses for every matter may be confirmed. That's number two. Number three is if he refuses to listen to you, tell it to the church. And we're going to talk about that church situation here in a second. And he refuses to listen even to the church. Number four is he's to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Okay, so there's a four-phase process that Jesus basically gives us. So, Jesus describes this, this is a four-phase biblical process of how to deal with confrontation and how to deal with relationships. So as you step up to this, the very first thing you want to do is have a private conversation. That's not always easy. That's where honesty comes in. That's where integrity comes in. That's where intestinal fortitude comes in. Okay? But if you're offended or somebody sins against you or if it's not right sin, I was involved in half a dozen of these before I ever came into the pastorate. But several of these situations didn't turn out well because you would, you, the individual would go to that person first alone is what we used to call it. And they try to talk to them and then they wouldn't listen, and then two different people would go to them, or maybe three, and they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't accept what they were saying. And sometimes Scripture would be shared. Sometimes it would just be an absolute blatant sin that was being discussed. And then the third process would be happening, which we've got to talk about and clarify a little bit, the church. Um, and they still wouldn't listen. And then some versions say you put that person out of the congregation. You separate them from the body of believers. Other versions don't say that. So we're going to talk about that. But, but we're going to talk about how those break out. But something in that relationship is broken and it's causing stress in your life. Okay? That first conversation is private. You don't go around, you don't go on the internet, you don't go on Facebook, you don't go on Twitter and say, I want everybody to pray with me about what so-and-so is doing. That's not what it says. All right? You keep it private, you keep it off of social media, you go to them first alone. All right? That's so that Scripture says very plainly, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. The situation resolved, it's a win-win for everybody. And it's done in one easy step. It's just getting open and honest with one another and discussing. And a lot of times, it's, it's, not, even, it's not even derogatory, it's just for clarification. You know, what you thought you saw or what you know may not, know, may not be exactly what you thought you saw or know. So it's to clarify things, all right? But if they say no, Jesus says the second part is harder. 
Now, we always want to assume the best, and, and we're, we're, we're simply trying to communicate, right? But we want to assume the best. If the conversation doesn't resolve things, then Jesus says, take step two. Step two is you take one or two people with you. Now, they're not your best buds that, that you have told about the situation and you're going there to pound that person in submission. That is not it. You take two neutral parties, one or two neutral parties. You do not share a lot of the information about what's going on. You just say, listen, I got, I got a situation I need to resolve with somebody. I need you to go with me to talk to them. They've agreed to to listen to you and I, and you help us decide what, what's going on. Not that they're going to make the judgment call what's right and wrong, but, but they're, help, they're there to s- simply help maybe mediate the situation. Okay? So that's number two. If you and the other person talk through the situation with that third party and the situation resolved, that's great. But if you are still on opposite sides of the fence, then step three takes place. Those, that step two, a lot of times we just need objective counsel to help resolve an issue. And sometimes when we're stressed, we, didn't, we don't think as clearly as we think we're thinking. I know that may not make sense, but we don't always think rightly. Um, we can be off track. If that doesn't work, Jesus says, tell it to the church. But if you go back to the old Hebrew meanings, he's not talking about the church as a whole. He's talking about church leaders first. Okay? A pastor, a Bible study leader, somebody with spiritual authority over the both of you. Okay? You go to that person, you describe that situation, that person, and then you try to resolve it. It's actually, a, it's actually an intermediate third, fourth step, if you want to put it that. But it's to help try to resolve the issue to maybe somebody that that other person would look up to also, at least in spiritual leadership. All right? Again, you don't make accusations on Facebook or Twitter or anything like that. Um, He's primarily talking about anyone in spiritual leadership. Now, here's the thing. If you're going to talk to another elder in the church, another spiritual leader, it should always be the lead spiritual leader that does that out of the gate senior pastor, lead pastor, whatever title they might have at that point, if they have to get involved in that, then they would decide how to deal with that if they say no another time. But for you personally, listen to what step four says. Step four says, his final instructions, if he refuses to listen even to the church, he is to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, you remember what Gentiles and tax collector were in Jesus' day? They were unbelievers. So, most of the time, did believers and unbelievers congregate together? Sure they did. So he's not saying, put them completely out. But he is saying this. He's saying, if you go through those first three steps and there's no reconciliation, and there's no thought of being able to uh, put the relationship back together, you need to pray for that individual as if they do not know the Lord. He's saying you need to shift your focus from praying for reconciliation in that relationship to that individual restoring and renewing his relationship with the Lord. Because you've went through all the proper channels. So now you're supposed to treat them as a tax collector <coughs> or an unbeliever or Gentile. If none of that works, and you get nowhere in trying to reconcile that relationship, 
Then the next step is to step back. Step back. Okay? So the first step, you, you want to try to resolve the situation. You want to confront the situation. You want to deal with the situation. But if that doesn't work, then you have to step back. Now, what do I mean by stepping back? That means you start to set boundaries. You start to set boundaries. And sometimes those boundaries can be very hard. But whatever boundaries you set, you have to be firm. Now, I'm, I'm going to be dogmatic about this one. I need I needed to throw a disclaimer in here. If you're in any kind of abusive relationship, whether it's physical, verbal, violent, sexual, any kind of abusive relationship, you need to get out. God does not want us in that kind of relationship. God does not want us being abused. There's biblical principles for that, but I'm not going to cover them all tonight. You should seek immediate help if you need to to get yourself removed from that situation. And if you need to, then seek spiritual counsel. And any church worth their salt will come along and help you get out of that situation and support you through the process. I think that's very important for churches today to be willing to step up and do that when the time comes, if necessary. Because it's going to take a healing process. But there's going to be times in your general relationships with workers and co-workers and friends and family. You're going to have to uh, put some boundaries down. We talked about that a little bit last week. You don't want those stressors in your life pile up to your full-blown stressed every time you see that person. That would just make you a total wreck. So you set boundaries. How does that go? It might start out by simply being able to say no. No is not a dirty word. When I was drinking and drugging a little bit, after I accepted Christ as my Savior and started getting my life straightened out, a lot of my friends were, hey, let's go to the bar, let's go do this, let's go do that. And I had to learn to say no. Because my life was changing. How much was it going to change? I had no idea then. But it was changing. And I knew that I couldn't go in those places because I had a penchant to follow those other people. So once I learned to say no, I was able to distance myself and set those appropriate boundaries. In relationships, we have to do that sometimes. You have to say, no, I don't want to go together with you to lunch or to the bar. Or no, I'm not going to answer the phone every time you call. Or no, I don't want to participate in that activity or this activity. So no is okay. You also have to sell, set what I call perimeter boundaries. Those perimeter boundaries, so maybe you have to affirm up front what you will do and what you won't do. I will go to you, go with you to get ice cream, but after that I'm leaving. Because I know how you get and what you want to do after you do ice cream, right? You understand what I'm saying? So you set up parameters in advance. And you just say, I'm not doing that because I know what's going to happen next. All right? More ice cream. For you, it would be. If you struggle with boundaries, again, seek godly counsel. Get with somebody you know and trust and say, hey, I'm really having an issue here. I'd like to set some boundaries. What do you think of this? It's okay to get some godly influence especially when it comes to that. Um, somebody mentioned emotions earlier today, often done our way. When we have such an emotional involvement and attachment with somebody, it's very easy to get our views skewed when we're looking through those glasses. So if you need help with that, seek some godly counsel. Also, When you set up those boundaries for yourself, you're, you're going to have to be very, very firm. I said that earlier. But the very last thing you want to do is step three, and that's step away. This is the last resort. 
But there are times when you have to step away for your personal safety, your spiritual safety, your physical safety, whatever it might be, your mental, whatever. But there's times you're going to have to step away. That's the final stage. That basically means you remove yourself from the relationship and you remove that individual or group of individuals from your life. It can either be for a set time frame or it can be for an indefinite time frame. Okay? Doesn't have to, you, don't, you don't have to take them completely out of your life. I know that may sound harsh. But let me ask you a question. If you've got a bad tooth and you go into the dentist and he says, oh my goodness, that thing's rotten from the inside out. Are you going to say, let's patch it up? Are you going to have them remove it? You're going to have them remove it. Because it's not worth patching up. It's not worth taking all that. If you've already invested all your time, energy, and effort with an individual or a group of individuals trying to reconcile, if you went through all the biblical steps and the answer is still no, 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 I don't accept what you're saying, and you can't reconcile the relationship somehow, then you put in the time, energy, and effort. It's just like a tooth. If something's bad, it go. If your kidney's about to burst, kidney, your appendix about to burst, and, and you're having problems, and you go to the doctor, and they say, well, that kidney's got to go. Uh, why am I saying kidney? Appendix has got to come out. Are you going to say, well, can you just give me some, something to drink and I'll, I'll feel better in a minute? No. You're going to say, get that thing out of there so it doesn't explode and cause all kind of infection in my body. So you have to, you, there's something you have to remove from your life. Okay? But that doesn't mean you have to write the person off completely. All right? You have to allow and leave God room to work. Sometimes we can be enablers in relationships and not even realize it. And you have to be careful of that. You remove that individual from your life. You set up those boundaries. You make sure you're physically safe. But you don't erase that person from your memory. You don't erase them from your thoughts. You don't necessarily erase them from your prayers. If anything, you pray more for them. That God will work on their life and transform their life and bring them back so that you can have a relationship again. But if that's not possible, then, then you need to be prepared for that. Okay? But leave God room to work. The bottom line is relationships can be very, very stressful, right? There, are, there typically can be a huge source of stressors in our life and ongoing stress. You have to ask yourself these questions, though. Where is God calling you to grow and develop because of that relationship? Remember last week I said sometimes God brings difficult relationships and puts us in difficult relationships so we'll grow and so we'll how to learn to deal with certain things. But there are some relationships you can't do that with. If you allow God to work in your life, he can bring you to a deeper place of peace but there may be times when those relationships are going to need to change. You're going to either have to step up and confront those individuals in a biblical manner. Or you're going to have to step back and set up those boundaries and make sure you're safe. Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it might be. Or you may have to step away from those relationships. But all of it is just so you can be filled with peace of God. Okay? Thoughts, questions, especially about the last thing we talked about, forgiveness. Warren. Yeah. And they accepted it, and, and, but I prayed about it for quite some time before I did it, 
And I even took counsel with somebody that I consider a mentor. Yeah. Before I did it, Good. as to how to do it and, and so forth. It worked. And it did not resent me because of the way I presented it. Yeah. So it can work on an individual basis. Exactly. But you really have to approach it carefully. Yeah. Absolutely, you do have to approach it carefully, and and it sounds like you followed all guides, all the steps exactly right. And again, sometimes it's not what we say; it's when we say it; it's how we say it. So we have to we have to look at the timing of the situation. We have to look at how the individual feels. If the individual is sick or stressed out, you don't want to approach them with stuff like that, right? So all of it comes into play. Good, good word, Warren. Anybody else? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, you guys got it all down for forgiveness? So forgive each other, all right? All right. <coughs> Amen. That's the last part of that verse, right? Forgive one another as God forgave us. But you you have to you have to truly believe that God has forgiven you for those things. Sometimes we carry some of the silliest baggage around, and it's like you know what? It, who am I? Who are you to say God can't forgive you? Are you bigger than God? I'm not bigger than God, and I know if God can forgive me, He can forgive anybody. But you got to plug that in. You've got to believe it. Otherwise, that baggage you carry around will be like a bad relationship. It'll just eat a hole in you. It doesn't mean you have to be haughty or rude, crude, crass, or obnoxious or arrogant. It just means that you know in your heart of hearts, God has forgiven me and I'm so grateful. you got to keep that in mind. Okay? Any other things on forgiveness before we go to prayer and praise? Chris? I like that last picture of the light. You know, <laughs> there are situations where you probably it's your boss. Hmm. You know, where you work. I'm not a Christian, but I listen to you during the work. So learning to let it go. Yeah. Really let it go. So that you can work. Yeah. You know, so you can function and whatever. so impressed. There's, there's, there's numerous people in this congregation that have come and shared with me over the last two years that they've had to step away from relationship or step away from someone that was over them in a, in a worse situation or something because they, they were struggling in that relationship. And in most of those, unfortunately, all except maybe one or two, um, that individual was not a Christian. And they just, they, they couldn't get where this other individual was coming from. And, and because of that, and we never could identify in some of those situations if that person was being persecuted because they were a Christian or it was just that other person's demeanor and they were just mean, you know. But those individuals, I was, I was proud of the fact that they were able to do that for themselves. And they, they would say, listen, you know, I'm going to have to quit my job or I'm going to have to get out of this relationship because, you know, I know it's bad for me. And they would take that stance and they would step away, you know. So that's, it's not always easy, but sometimes it's necessary. Anyone else? All right. Well, let's go with some praises and prayer requests. What do we have tonight? Okay, you guys have got forgiveness down. You're propped right up. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Rafi's, ra, ra, <coughs> Rafi's reminding you. I got the mic. Hey, brother. 
We had a fantastic number of uh, men for our men's uh, prayer meeting uh, Monday, and we all, which was, uh, well, Warren said it was 18. Uh, and uh, so, like almost 20. Awesome. Uh, and then we had a great number on Saturday morning. Mm -hmm. That means. It was 17 there, so. Yeah, so very, very grateful for that. Also, another praise. Um, we've got our red uh, hymnals now. So we're going to have, it's got all ones that are in here, except plus a lot more. So they're really, it's a really cool um Okay, but you need you need to explain that real quick. The only ones that have the red handles are the praise and worship team. We don't get them right now. Okay. <laughs> Anyone else? Praise your prayer request. Have we? Yes, ma'am. Get Rafi over there. Uh. <clears throat> um, the uh, pastor search committee met with the deacons um, and trustees last evening and we have some really good information that we were able to share with each other and we just covered your prayers as we continue praying and going to see what God has got in store for us it was Amen. an awesome meeting Amen, cool um do we have any more information? Does anybody have information on Dennis Jr., uh, Dennis Hall Jr., and his amputation, how that went? I have. Uh, I talked to uh, Joy Sunday as she was leaving, and they took the rest of the story off. Yeah, I, I knew that. I just wondered if anybody knew but anything since Sunday. That's the only thing that I okay. had from it. Yeah, they they took the rest of his foot and part of his leg, right? Part of his calf or something. Yeah, so you need to pray for Joy. She's And pray for Dennis. The thing we really need to pray for Dennis for probably is salvation. We do need to pray for Dennis. I had a cousin that had his foot removed because of diabetes. And uh, he, it's a tough transition. It's really hard. First of all, and, and Joyce, uh, Joyce said that uh, Dennis was going through that. Sure. They put you on so much antibiotics, or not antibiotics, but uh, hmm? painkillers and stuff, that you don't know what's going on. Yeah. And my cousin thought he was flying up around the room. I mean, he just went really off the wall, you know. And I'm sure Dennis will probably go through something like that, too. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tough situation. Yeah. My cousin never did really get back on his prosthesis. Huh. Uh, he died before he got back on that. But yeah. that's hard. It's hard when you lose an extremity. Yeah. Your arm or whatever you lose, it's just tough for your body to accept that, you know. Yeah. So. All right. Anyone else? Over here, Rafi, Miss Lee. Hi, I'm, I'm Lee Gillis. Some of you may remember I brought my friend Tracy here. Um, I also got her signed up with the food bank and hoped that she would. I took some Bible. I gave her a Bible. I hmm. tried to get her involved in a Bible study. Um, whether whether this is demonic activity or what. All I know and all I can tell you and why we just need to pray is that she's in a psychiatric hospital right now oh, no. up at Oral, Oral Valley. I went up day before yesterday. I, I took a Bible up to her and could not see her. She's in a locked ward. Oh. I don't know what's going on. And I, she lives, I can see her house from my dining room table. And I can sit there, and I have prayed and prayed and prayed. And I just, she, she has no family. She's 56 years old. She needs the Lord. She needs the Lord. She needs love. And um, I'm, I'm sure she was suicidal, and so where she was working, they, they got her to surrender to be admitted to the hospital. I'm yeah. pretty sure that's what happened. 
um, and we've just made arrangements today to get her car back and everything, but it just, and, and Pastor, what you're talking about, and th th these lessons are just outstanding because 46 years ago, I accepted Christ as my savior and within two months, my uncle, who was the one that led me to the Lord, rescued me out of a very abusive situation in which I probably would have been killed or my son and I would have been killed. Um, and that's what, that's what Jesus did. Yeah. And, um, and he confronted, it was his nephew, he confronted his nephew, um, just, you know, just a long story. Um, and I, I am just so grateful to, to be saved physically and eternally, and yeah, um, and then my my uh, ex-husband or my husband, he he died just a horrible death. Yeah. A horrible death. He never never surrendered. He never got it. Um, so that was something that really failed. And I had just held on and held on, and you know, especially after I became a Christian, and just thought prayer would change. And no, it it was a case where I had to get out. Yeah. So I. I thank you. This was just super. Okay. I would just hope we could pray for Tracy with if that God would come sit at her bedside, <laughs> sitting in that locked ward. I mean, okay. she, so thanks. All right. Will someone pray for Tracy? Father, we just uh, come before you, Lord, lifting Tracy up to you, Lord. Um, you know where she's at, and we just um, pray, Lord, uh, um, first of all, f that um, you just bring her to you, Lord, somehow, yes. some way. We pray for those doctors, that you would give them wisdom. Um, just wrap your arms around her, Lord, and let her feel your love, Lord. And uh, just bring someone into her life that may be able to speak um, speak about you so that um, she can um, come to you, Lord. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, any other praises or prayer requests? Okay, well, tomorrow is Rodeo Parade. We need to praise God. Maybe the wind won't blow tomorrow. And pray the same thing so that all those folks out there don't get blown away. Um, and keep those cowboys and cowgirls safe as they work through their finals. And uh, if you guys are going to the parade or to the rodeo, be careful and have a, have a good time, but be very, very careful. Anyone else? Before we close. Man, you guys are awful quiet tonight. All right, Dennis, let's have our closing song then. Freely, freely. God forgave my sin in Jesus name I've been born again in Jesus name and in Jesus name I come to you to share his love as he told me to he said freely freely you have received freely freely give go in my name and because you believe others will know that I live all power is given in Jesus name in earth and heaven in Jesus name and in Jesus name I come to you
to share his power as he told me to. He said, freely, freely, you have received, freely, freely give. Go in my name, and because you believe, others will know that I live. Dear Lord, we thank you for this evening that you've given to us. Lord, help us to... uh, Take to heart this teaching that uh, that we have received. Lord, help us to to truly um, go the right route uh, in regards to forgiveness. And uh, Lord, help us to be biblical in what we do and say and think. And Lord, we ask you to be with the prayer requests that have been brought forth. Uh, especially uh, for Tracy, as she is uh, is in a is in a difficult place, but uh, has been prayed that uh, someone will speak uh, life into her heart, into her life, and that uh, it will truly make all the difference. And Lord, we ask you to give us safe travels home, and Lord, ask you to to. Uh, uh, be uh, optimistic and uh, positive as we we go forth in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Some glad morning when this life is o'er, I 